Hi everybody, welcome to Parker Ford Church's online worship service. My name is DJ Martin, I'm the church pastor here at Parker Ford Church, and whether you're a member at PFC or just joining us online, it's great to have you with us today. Today we're talking about God's love for the nations, his love for people from all cultures, all tribes, all tongues. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 5, the picture of heaven where the nations are gathered around the throne of Jesus. To start our service, I'm going to read from Psalm 60, 96, excuse me, that, that talks about God's heart and love for all peoples. It says in Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Before we start the sermon today, I want to invite you to reflect on the following questions. What are the implications of God's love for the nations? What's the difference between modern political nation states and the nations mentioned in the scriptures? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations? Go ahead and spend some time reflecting on these questions, and then I want to invite you to join us for today's teaching. Before coming to Parker Ford Church, my family served near Upper Darby towards the city of Philadelphia, just west of West Philadelphia. And we lived in the old uh, neighborhood of Drexel Hill. And Drexel Hill, uh, right next to Upper Darby, it's part of Upper Darby Township. And Upper Darby has become, over the last uh, two generations, and, and specifically over the last 20 years, has become one of the most ethnically diverse areas of Philadelphia. At one point, I don't know if this is still true, but at one point a number of years ago, just a few years ago, Upper Darby High School was the most ethnically diverse high school in America. There were over 50 languages spoken um, in Upper Darby High School. You go through the, you walk through the halls of the high school and all the bathroom signs are in like 10 different languages. Really, really neat, really cool, especially if you have an appreciation for different cultures. And that's something that my wife and I and my family loves and, that, and that's been part of my story living in cross-cultural settings. And it's, it's amazing because you get to glimpse the beauty of God's creation through people who look different than you and think differently than you and eat different food and dress differently. Well, when we were in Drexel Hill in the Upper Darby area, a friend of mine ran a multicultural soccer club. That's the name of, of the soccer club, multicultural soccer club. And it was the most diverse multicultural um, institution that I've ever got uh, gotten the chance to be a part of this amazing soccer club. It's really cool in Upper Darby. And there's nations from all over the world that are represented um, in this soccer club and little kids from all over the world who have uh, immigrated or their parents or grandparents have immigrated to the United States and live in the Upper Darby area. And I got to coach in this soccer club, coach my own kids and, and obviously uh, kids from all these different cultures were a part of their their teams and on my son's team I got to coach it at three different levels and each year on our team uh, was a, a little boy named Armit who was from India his family's uh, from the Punjab uh, region district of India and they were Sikh Sikh Indians Sikhs are um, a unique religion and they consider themselves separate from Hinduism or Buddhism and, and Sikhs are the ones that often wear the turbans, and so they get confused 
uh, for Muslim, but they're not Muslim. Um, they don't worship Allah or believe in Allah. Uh, they, they have their own distinct, unique expression of, of who they think God is and their faith. Uh, Sikhs are generally these very peace-loving, um, really kind and thoughtful people, and that was certainly the experience that my wife and I and our family had. We became really good friends with this Sikh family that was part of our soccer club. And, uh, you know, we had them over for birthday parties and vice versa. And um, early on, after getting to know them a little bit, they invited us over for dinner at their house. And my wife and I love Indian food. And so we were really excited. At the time, we only had two kids. And so we got ready um, the evening we were going over there. And we, we you know, found their house. And, and we went in expecting us uh, just to be us and their family. But in their culture, when you make a new friend or you have a, a guest over, you also invite your close relatives and friends. And so we're coming into this house and there's an entire uh, Sikh Indian Punjab party going on in there with music and uh, their, their food and games. We played uh, different games uh, from their culture. It was amazing, amazing experience. And we got to do that multiple times with this family. I love doing that kind of thing. I love experiencing other cultures because this is God's heart. He has created us in his image. Every man, woman, and child ever born bears the image and the likeness of God. And as we looked at those scriptures earlier at the beginning of our service, God has a heart and a love for all peoples from all nations. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for racism. There is no room for looking down on other cultures, for, you know, thumbing our nose at other cultures. There's no room for that in the family of God because God has created every person in his image and it is his desire that every man, woman, and child from every single culture, people, tribe on earth would be reconciled and would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and worship in their language and celebrate through their unique cultural expression the God of heaven and earth. We're going to look at a passage that just describes this so beautifully from Revelation chapter 5. This is John, the Apostle John. He's having this, this wild, crazy experience where he's been transported in the spirit into the heavenly realms and he's in the throne room of God similar to Isaiah in the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Here's John in the throne room of God and picking up in verse 1 it says then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Notice here that the elder who is speaking to John says, Behold the lion. So here's John in the throne room and he's weeping and he's grieved because there's no one who's worthy to look into the mysteries and the plan of God to open up the scroll and see what God is going to accomplish on the earth. 
And as he's weeping and as he's grieved, this elder says, look, the lion has triumphed. And so John, he turns, you can just picture him turning and looking, and he's expecting to see the conquering lion of Judah sitting on the throne of David. But that's not what he sees. What does he see? It says in verse 6, then I saw a lamb. It is the lion of Judah, but it's the lamb of God. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This picture so beautifully illustrates one of the great and profound beauties and mysteries of the Christian faith. So often people have turned looking to see a conquering God with a sword, a raised scepter and sword who will smite and destroy his enemies. But looking at Jesus have instead beheld the Lamb of God, the meek and humble and gentle and it's not that Jesus isn't the, the Lion of Judah. It's not that he doesn't have all strength and authority. He does. But when we turn to him, when we gaze upon him, what's revealed is actually the meekness and humility of God. As it says in Philippians 2, who took upon himself humility and gave up his place of privilege and humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. It goes on to say in verse 7, He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. Remember in Psalm 67 where it says, sing a new song. And then it says, proclaim the salvation of God to all the nations, all the peoples. All right, remember that phrase, sing a new song. Here, John, repeating this same phrase from, psalm, uh, from the psalm says, and they sang a new song. I think I said 67, but it was Psalm 96. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. That's a pretty all-encompassing list, lest any of us think that anyone is left out of that. God has purchased for himself a people through the blood of Christ, the slain lamb, persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And it says in verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. When John, when John is describing this multitude, he says it's ten thousands upon thousands, ten thousand times ten thousands. In his language, you know, in, in speaking in the Greek language in, in first century, they, they didn't have the concept of infinity 
uh, like we do today, the mathematical concept of infinity. And so this is, this is the way that they would express innumerable, you know, beyond count. And so John, don't get caught up on that exact number. That's not the point. The point of what John is saying is that it is beyond count. All of the people who have been saved by Jesus and brought into the family of God, gathered in the throne room in the new kingdom, um, who have been set apart to reign as priests, holy priests of God on the new earth. He's looking out and seeing this multitude. And there are people from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. These are four different Greek words. The first one, tribal group, is phule, the Greek word phule, and it, and it means tribal group. So it's like a family unit, but a larger family unit, like the 12 tribes of Israel. And so speaking of this, you know, unique family, larger extended family tribal unit, he says every single tribe on earth there are ten thousands upon thousands. I mean, there are so many tribal groups that have lived throughout recorded history and that are on earth today. And so he, John is saying um, there's going to be a person, uh, at least a person, from every single one of those tribal groups represented around the throne. The second word, language, uh, glossa, where we get the, the phrase to gloss over, speaking of languages. And so every single language group, there's something like 8,000 different spoken languages on earth today. Over 8,000 languages, and that doesn't include languages that have, have passed away um, over the last uh, thousands of years. And so every tribe, every you know, family unit and larger family unit, every language, and then it says uh, every people, and the Greek word there is laos, and it, and it means people. So every type of person, male, female, young, old, uh, doesn't matter, every type of person will be represented there. And ethnos, which is uh, the same word that Jesus used is in the Great Commission, which we'll use for our benediction today, um, where Jesus says, go to all the nations, ethnos. And this doesn't mean political nation state. Like he's not talking about, you know, there will be a person from America and a person from Brazil or people from, you know, Germany or people from the Philippines. Um, although there will be, what he's saying is ethnos, which means ethnic group. Within a modern political nation state, you can have many, many different ethnic groups and many languages. For example, in the Philippines, the Philippines is um, identified as a, you know, a political nation state, but in the modern sense of the word, the Philippines is a, is a nation state. Historically, it's actually many different ethnic groups that have been combined into this larger political nation state only in recent modern history. In the Philippines alone, there's over 7,000 islands. There's over 150 different languages spoken in this one political nation state. What John is emphasizing here, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. So from the Philippines, every single language will be represented around the throne of God. Every single tribe. And that's just the Philippines. I think Indonesia has something like 13,000 islands. So the Philippines has 7,000. Then you've got Indonesia right underneath it to the south of it. It's got something like 13,000. And then Malaysia has many. You put that together, you're talking about tens of thousands of islands just right there in Southeast Asia and the South Pacific. Every single tribe, every single language, every single people, every single nation will be represented. Let's look at the context again. 
as John is, is declaring this in Revelation 5, the people are singing, the elders are singing to God, you are worthy to take this scroll. They're singing this to the Lamb of God, to Jesus. You're worthy to take this scroll. You're worthy to open its seals. You're worthy to see the mysteries of God's plans because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. It has always been God's desire for all the nations to be represented around the throne room of God. It has always been God's desire from Adam and Eve all the way to today that people from every single type of people, group, and culture would be a part and adopted into his family. In fact, in Matthew 24, when the disciples are asking him about the end times and he gives that sort of cryptic statement that not even the Son of Man knows when the end is going to come. And he says there's going to be floods and there's going to be earthquake and there's going to be all these types of things. And people are going to rise up and say, now's the end. And, and now the Messiah returns. And there's going to be all of these things that people are trying to figure out the puzzle pieces. And he says even the Son of Man doesn't know. But he does give one sure promise in Matthew 24 verse 14. He says, and this gospel, the good news that he's preaching of the kingdom, will be preached to the whole world, the entire world, as a testimony to all nations, that's ethnos, to every single ethnic group, and then the end will come. And so when you hear, you know, a prophet or a person claiming to be a prophet saying, you know, the, the earth is going to end in 2021 or, you know, whatever, <laughs> making these, these assumptions, you can point them back to Matthew 24, 14 and say, actually, the gospel needs to go out to every single ethnic group on earth before we can even consider it being the end. And that has not yet happened. There are still several thousand unreached people groups, ethnic groups on earth. And there's uh, unreached people groups that are represented in our area, like in Upper Darby. Some of, some of the unreached people groups of the earth have begun to move into the United States, which is amazing. God has brought the nations to us and so it used to be that to meet someone, you know, from Indonesia, you had to move across the earth. But in today's culture, um, with, with the multicultural setting that we're living in, even though that brings complications with it, from a Christian standpoint, it brings opportunity. Because God has brought the nations to us, and we get the opportunity to share his love and partner with him in his kingdom-building work. All right, that was a lot of information. There's so much more that we could jump into today, but I'm going to leave us with that picture from Matthew 24, that it is Jesus' desire. This is what he says to his, his disciples. He says, this will happen. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so I want to leave us with a few questions before today's benediction. Let's spend some time asking and chewing on and working through these questions. How can we as a church family, how can we corporately um, participate in God's love for the nations? How can, how can we help partner with the Holy Spirit in advancing the gospel to all the nations? How can you as an individual participate in God's love for the nations? So there's a way that we do that together as a larger family, and there's a way that you're called to do that as an individual. All right, and here's the big challenge for you this week. Within the next two weeks, so in the next, you know, 10 to 14 days, invite someone from a different culture out to eat, or better yet, 
have them over to your home or outside to be a little bit safer. Um, have them out to your deck and have them over for dinner. Have a meal with someone from a different culture. Ask them what it's like to be them. Ask them what it's like to live in America. Uh, ask them what their experience has been like to immigrate. Or, or, you know, it could be a different culture in the sense of um, if you're a Caucasian, invite, invite a black brother or sister out uh, to eat and ask them about their experience and listen and listen, take the posture of humility, the same posture that Jesus Christ took, who humbled himself and gave up his privilege so that he could bring us into his family. So in the next two weeks, invite someone out to eat who's from a different culture than you. So spend a few minutes reflecting on these questions and make a concrete plan uh, to, to follow through with this challenge. And then I want to invo- invite you to join us for today's benediction. I really hope in the coming weeks you take me up on that challenge and take a family out to dinner that's from a different culture or an individual from a different cultural background than you and just share a meal with them. I mean, this is a picture of heaven, right? The feast of the Lamb of God and and his bride and the people of God gathered around the feasting table. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language gathered together sharing food, breaking bread. This is what Jesus modeled for us with his disciples, taking these men and and the women who were his disciples that would have been in the upper room as well, you know, taking them, these people that were from different backgrounds and, and many of whom would not have gotten along naturally. Like you have Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot. They would have hated one another apart from being called to follow Jesus. And yet he takes these two very different men these two different cultures, these two different understandings of of how to live, and he puts them at the same table and he creates a new covenant. And so I really want to encourage you in the coming weeks to take me up on this challenge and, and share a meal with a family or individual from a different background, a different cultural background than yours. For our closing benediction, I'm going to read the Great Commission. This is where Jesus talks about sending you and I um, to, to share the love of Christ, the good news, the gospel, with all the peoples of the earth. In Matthew 28, right before the ascension, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, in English it sounds like the verb is go, but in the Greek um, it's, it's more like as you are going and then the verb is actually make disciples and baptize and teach. Those are the verbs in in this sentence. So the action points for you and I are to make disciples, to baptize or or catechize or teach, um, and teach all of the things that Jesus has uh, delivered to us who follow him. And when he says all nations, it's the term ethnos, um, not meaning political nation states, but ethnos as in ethnic groups. All peoples, all ethnic groups, Uh, will be represented around the throne like the vision of John in Revelation 5.
Once again, thank you for joining us today. It's been great to go on this journey and explore God's love for the nations together today. I hope you're encouraged. Go with God. Be blessed.